I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week is a very special edition of the show. We will be interviewing Tal Tamir, who is the co-founder and CEO of Willia, the company that is connecting everyday things to the internet and uh, bringing intelligence through IoT pixels, these battery-free sticker-sized computers. So, Fascinating conversation. Uh, we span, you know, what is the technology? Uh, a new uh, version of the technology that's just been launched, version two. And we also get into a bit of history about where the company came from and how it got to where it is. So I hope you enjoy. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot. Intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. Tal, welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. It's been, gosh, over four years that uh, I've been working at Williot and we started working together and this is the first time you've been on the show. So welcome. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. It's about time. <laughs> um, and, and I have to thank you, um, Separate to that is uh, well, one thing. When I joined Williot, I wasn't sure that you would even let me continue to do uh, a show where I covered competitors and that sort of thing, and you did. And and uh, we've actually never talked about what should or shouldn't be in this podcast, even though I've covered what some people might consider to be uh, uh, competing technologies. So thanks for that. But uh, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. I, I want to uh, take this opportunity of talking to you, uh, the CEO, the co-founder of uh, Williot, to talk a bit about what Williot is for those people that don't know. And we've just launched version two of the product. So I, I want to dig into that and talk a bit about what that means, what it is. Uh, and then lastly, if we have time, I want to ask you a few questions, our traditional kind of three favorite songs, and uh, how did you get this job question. But let, let's start off with Williot, and can you just explain briefly what 
Williot is offering and why it's potentially so transformational? Yeah, first of all, in terms of Mr. Bicken, I, uh, I'm really actually very proud of the small contribution that uh, uh, we have uh, for this stage. Uh, it's a very diverse and open platform. Hopefully, it will continue to be so. Uh, Williot is, uh, is an interesting journey. I think uh, we are unique in two ways, and I think both of them might surprise people. Uh, I don't think it's about a battery-free Bluetooth I don't think it's about Bluetooth at all. Uh, it is in IoT, but we are kind of we are trying to change things in two vectors, I would say. Uh, the first uh, one is that we try to uh, go back and address the things, the T in IoT. Uh, I think uh, most people, including me and you, uh, find it easier to understand how you can make a place smart. Because a place has usually a very kind of focused function. It doesn't move. So... Um, uh, it would make sense to make it smart, right? Uh, so uh, probably uh, uh, most people will understand what smart retail or smart production would mean. But what is a smart thing? Things are so many, right, of them, right? From uh, an insulin injector down to a uh, zucchini. <laughs> and also they just change locations all the time. So what does it mean to make things smarter is, is a big question. I'm sure that we will discuss it today. And this is what Willute is about. That's the one vector. We go down to the sandwich. No, I, I just wanted to call this out because, I mean, at the, at the center of this, so, uh, yeah, there are these tags and they're battery-free and they do talk Bluetooth, but it's, it's, it's bigger and broader than that. Uh, part of it is, um, I think, an opinion on why IoT the Internet of Things is under-delivered. Um, and, I mean, just to make it completely explicit, what, why do you think IoT is... Why is it that we're in the billions and not the trillions, which is, I think, where we hope to take it with William? So, naturally, when you make a place smart, uh, I think while the value is kind of uh, clear to people as to what it means, uh, naturally, you kind of uh, need the infrastructure uh, to do that, right? Basically, uh, in order to make anything smart, you need to invest in the, the sensors, the cameras, and uh, everything uh, around it uh, to make it smart. And that means that if you make one location smart, uh, you need to replicate that investment uh, to make everything smart. So that is uh, uh, creates friction. Uh, in general, I would say that infrastructure and new infrastructure uh, is something that slows uh, things down. Because it's expensive, it takes uh, time, and uh, it's like, you know, to me, it's like building the highway system. Uh, you can only use something apocalyptic to make that kind of investment. And uh, and really, yeah. IoT yeah. has not had that. Uh, we're not talking about ferrying uh, uh, missiles from one end of the United States to the other, which is what caused us to invest in the, in the, in the highway system. So, yeah, it's IoT. Yeah. Yes. It's IoT and it's about uh, the things uh, and assuming that you can add value uh, to anything we use on a daily basis, it remains so uh, in any location. And that means that you cannot rely on infrastructure. So embedded into the focus of things is that you need to be either infrastructure free or uh, any infrastructure that needs to be added uh, to support smart things is really kind of uh, uh, very simple and low cost. I'll give you the most kind of brutal example, 
right? Uh, why focusing on things relates to us people uh, on a personal level, right? Uh, you can go to a smart location if it's a smart kind of a retail, right? And, and, uh, and today there's so much innovation and a good one uh, to improve how we shop uh, in retail. Uh, so your experience there can be flawless, right? And you can buy a piece of food. But once you get that piece of food and you take it out of that store, it will not warn you if uh, it's bad and expired and you should not use it. And, and I think that more and more, uh, I think we all kind of relate to, uh, uh, to the problem and solutions that deal with, uh, with quality of food, quality of medicine, efficiencies, uh, uh, reducing waste. And that tends to be an end-to-end -end, uh, process that relates to things and not places. And this is the one thing that makes us unique. The second thing is, is, uh, is the fact that, uh, and, and this is uh, sometimes gets even more confusing, is that we really think uh, in specific data versus big data. Sometimes when I talk to customers, they're so used to see statistics and dashboards that kind of represents uh, their world that they forget that it can be much simpler. We can uh, try to address the actual problem that is creating this big data representation of it. Uh, so what we're trying to do at Williot is, is try to uh, uh, help uh, customers fix the problem on an individual basis. And in, in order to do that, uh, as I think we've been uh, public about that, our entire business model is about providing multi-dimensions to customers, meaning not just the location of where they are, but the conditions, temperature, humidity, uh, and anything around them. Because we feel that this is how the things themselves can fix any problem they encounter uh, everywhere they go. So these are the two vectors that Williot is, uh, is trying to contribute. On one hand, go back to the things, and on the other hand, uh, uh, provide tools uh, so the things can fix themselves rather than just count the number of failures. Very good, a lot to unpack. I wanna get back to the business model at some point, but um, just double click on how Williot does that. So it's about making everyday things expensive, not expense, not uh, high value products, uh, fridges and cars, they're already connected. It's about cardboard boxes and vaccine vials and, uh, and things like that. But how do you do that? How can you put intelligence, computing power, connectivity into a cardboard box? Yeah, so, so, so you have to start kind of at the basic building block and uh, that kind of famous uh, kind of a label or sticker or pixel as uh, now uh, rebranded and it means something. Uh, what we design at Williot uh, is, is a device uh, that is simple enough and low cost enough on one hand to go on anything. And we continuously uh, design uh, generation after generation to make it even simpler and higher performance. Uh, and at the same time, uh, that same device needs to enable a future of insights and sensing information, even those that we cannot predict right now. So the entire idea is that you uh, enable these labels on an asset, and then uh, these labels transmits enough information to the cloud using an existing infrastructure or a very simple extension of it. Uh, all very private and encrypted. It goes up to the cloud and in the cloud, we basically try and estimate uh, what changed in the physical world. 
did it move? Did humidity change? Uh, uh, what is the temperature? And not that we do that, what we do more is try to add more sensing capabilities on already deployed assets. Because basically the way we sense is we uh, um, uh, estimate uh, a change in the physical world, all modeled in the virtual world. So imagine a customer can deploy millions and billions of assets. And one day we can knock on his door and basically say, look, uh, we think, or we can show you that if you add light sensing, you can see now what is the value that you'll get instead of just forecasting or estimating what it will be. So it's a combination of a, a, a core chip level design that is not easy to do uh, from harvesting energy to kind of uh, calibrating and connecting to existing infrastructure all the way up to uh, data science, cutting edge data science uh, that basically is the product that we deliver to customers. So the technology ranges from cloud technology, some edge technology and some tag technology or these IoT pixels. What is in an IoT pixel? How do you make a computer for pennies rather than dollars? Yeah, so uh, uh, basically uh, we design a component, okay, um, um, that can harvest energy. So uh, uh, if you look on a tag, and basically let me show you uh, tag uh, oh, right now. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a piece of plastic or paper. Uh, you can barely see, but there's a component taped somewhere here. And you can see a bunch of antennas. Some of the antennas are energy antennas. Okay, so like the two here that you see on the side can harvest energy from Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, um, and anything in that frequency. And some of the antennas transmit and receive information. And all of the antennas are used for sensing because the way our eyes into the physical world are the antennas and nothing else. So uh, uh, that chip basically right now gets energy from uh, the environment, wakes up from time to time. There are, there's a dual core computer actually in the chip that you see on this label here. We calculate uh, uh, um, any relevant information that we think is we should upload. Once we're ready, we transmit fully compliant BLE beacon, uh, like anything else that transmits beacon. And it goes through anything that can read uh, BLE, which is your phone, uh, any simple beacon uh, or bridge device, and it goes all the way up uh, to the cloud as an encrypted information. So this is not an off-the-shelf chip. This is one that uh, Williot has designed. What is it that you have to do to be able to get energy from such a meager source of energy, you know, radio waves, that's probably kind of the, the hardest kind of energy harvesting that you can do. How do you, how do you pull that off? That's very true, by the way, yeah. Harvesting energy, uh, we're not the first to do uh, energy harvesting. You can harvest energy from light, which is at least one order of magnitude better than harvesting energy from RF. You can actually harvest energy from RF with a dedicated transmitter of energy, uh, like RFID but we don't want to do that because that adds infrastructure. You can even harvest energy from uh, movements uh, and that would be more energy than RF. RF is really like the poorest source of energy, but it's always kind of the simplest in terms of the, of the, of the label design, okay? It's the kind of the lowest cost ability uh, to harvest energy. But if you, if you quantify 
basically uh, around us right now, uh, around in your kind of room, in my room, the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi energy levels and cellular are down to a few nanowatts of energy. There is no off-the-shelf chip today that can do anything useful uh, with a few nanowatts of energy. Uh, usually even kind of uh, a chip that does nothing and just leaks energy is two orders of magnitude more, uh, 300 or 400 nanowatts. So we have built a chip that is capable of doing something useful uh, with nanowatts of energy. And that is not an easy thing to do, as you and I know on a daily basis. Very good. We could spend a lot of time double-clicking on that, but I, I, I want to move forward and um, talk about version two. But before we do that, uh, the, the business model. So uh, we design chips. Is that the business model? Selling chips? No, and I think, by the way, yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, some people thought it, it's a type of a pivot of Willet. It was never a pivot. Uh, anyone can come over. I can show him the slide number one that they created for Willet. And uh, we said that for IoT to progress, customers should be able to pay for value and not make big decisions before they saw any form of value. Uh, and if I need to install infrastructure in all my locations and each location cost half a million dollars, that's a big decision before I saw any value. Uh, so from day one, we said we will design these uh, devices uh, that will be so low cost that can go on anything, but we will not sell them. Uh, basically, we will enable uh, anyone uh, that is uh, able uh, to create enough capacity uh, to kind of purchase them directly. So Williot today and in the future and forever, we'll never uh, make a single cent out of hardware or anything around the hardware. Uh, the business model is solely around uh, the sensing services that we provide. So imagine an extreme uh, uh, scenario in which uh, a customer applied a label on something and never used its capabilities for whatever reason. We are not paid. We are okay with that because uh, uh, we are absolutely certain that there are so many ways and dimensions that we can add value uh, that the customer, once he sees the value, will activate uh, these capabilities. So um, that comes through the cloud, right? And, um, you know, why do you need a cloud component when you have such an incredible chip? Uh, what's, what's the, why not just... Yeah, the only chip? ability to sense, if, yeah, if I would add uh, any sensing, even if I would kind of let go on the future proofing and our ability to add sensing in the future, even just adding temperature and humidity and light and movement would make the label uh, just uh, too expensive and not useful. So the only way to do that and, and uh, not create kind of a, a cost function uh, versus sensing capabilities is to do it in the cloud and to do it uh, through AI uh, modeled in the cloud. That is the only way. On top of that, if you want to enable a secure uh, world, basically, because we are after tagging everything that is useful to people, you definitely don't want to trust anyone in the physical world and you want to make sure that your uh, uh, security and privacy is maintained uh, in a place that is easier to protect. So that adds another form of security uh, uh, to what we do. So basically, the cloud's essential if you're going to have security. The cloud has a role in uh, offloading some of the functions that would normally be done on the device. You can make the device uh, slimmer, 
lower cost uh, if you're putting it in the cloud. And so the, so the, the business model's really around selling those uh, cloud services. Yeah, actually, it's funny because, look, we have a very capable uh, hardware team and design team. And I keep kind of uh, insisting that we keep the labels. We keep we should keep improving the performance of the labels and reduce the cost, but we should keep them featureless, which is which goes against of the instincts of most kind of uh, uh, the very capable uh, designers we have. And the reason is that we can help customers by adding uh, sensing services uh, in the future based on what they need versus what we think we, they need right now. Uh, and and it, so it creates kind of a pace of innovation that is different than typical hardware. It's not that you need to wait for the features of next year. Uh, we can talk with you, understand the need, and in a couple of weeks, we can provide a sensing service that caters to your need as a customer versus a kind of a hardware cadence that naturally is very, very slow. So let's talk about use cases. What can you actually do with this thing? I mean, it's tremendously flexible. It's general purpose. You have to excuse. We both love dogs, and uh, mine's decided to join into the podcast. So tell me, tell yeah. tell us a bit about the use cases. What what are the things? If I can connect everything to the internet uh, for pennies, uh, what is it that the the you think is the the thing that's going to drive this this thing forward? Um, yeah, I'll do that. I'll give you kind of a set of examples, and then it will look kind of um, very diverse and broad. So how can we do all of that? And I'll explain uh, how we can do that. Uh, but first of all, any example that we see, any customer that we talk to basically has a, a, a lack of visibility uh, on his products. And that is across locations, across kind of uh, phases. So it can be anything from uh, a very uh, easy to understand an insulin injector right, that uh, uh, might be kept out of conditions in the supply chain uh, or used incorrectly uh, at home or disposed of incorrectly uh, uh, after usage. But it can also be uh, a crate of vegetables that are kept too long uh, at the wrong temperature and humidity or just delivered to the wrong place or dumped before uh, any chance of being sold at the front store. So any customer I talk to has some inefficiencies in the way they produce and the way they sell and the way their products are being used, the way their products are being recycled, the waste management. Uh, and that is the common theme to what we do. Any customer, regardless of a product, once he tags a specific asset or a group of assets, the customer knows uh, what is the right way of doing things how long it should be kept and what is the what are the right conditions is it at the front store or back store should it be used once a day twice a day uh, once you do that our job at williot regardless of the use case is to see and identify any violations anytime there's a any one of the parameters that we call dimension crosses what the customer defined we know that we need to act we need to act to fix it and that is on asset by asset, uh, a, a kind of uh, a resolution. So a customer, once he defines that kind of right way of doing things, we will act anytime uh, that specific product is out of the allowed boundary. So use cases usually uh, align to efficiency of supplying products, 
So the ability to supply products only when they're needed, the ability to guarantee uh, a quality of food, uh, adherence of medicine, the ability of improving efficiencies overall in, in, uh, in moving uh, perishable items, in moving livestock, in finding assets, uh, in making sure that people don't kind of uh, uh, excessively buy and stock items, even down to the point that we can uh, measure carbon emission indirectly. Uh, so we can price any product individually, not just a category, uh, by his specific history. In the future, maybe even price items based on their specific history as it goes to quality and expiration. So the common theme keeps coming back and it's always about around efficiency and quality to any product. So that these are the use cases you and I see on a daily basis and, and that is the repeatable pattern. The only question is, how do you do that, right? How do you work in such a diverse of use cases? Uh, no one at Williot will claim that we're experts in pharma or experts in retail. Uh, we're not. Um, and this is why we're, we have created uh, uh, a platform, an automation platform that enables customers to do exactly what I said. The customers know exactly and intimately what should happen, what is their use case. And obviously we will help them uh, with partners to do that. But once they do that, you can have an asset with set of 10 or 20 such playbooks, as we call them. The playbook is how things should run. And our job on a generic level, without even knowing what the use case is, is to watch that asset and look for any deviation and then act based on the action that the customer has defined for us. So that is a SaaS technique. We're not the first to use automation platform, but I think we are the first uh, to do something like that when, when it is tied to billions and billions of physical assets in a complex world. So you touched on the automation platform, which is a key part of this new version two thing. And I'm going to come back to that. But before we move on, I just want to make sure that it's really clear how putting these tags that are constantly harvesting and broadcasting, sensing information to the cloud, how that can make a difference to the supply chain. How can it make it more efficient? Because I think most people look at our supply chains and they know that there's this th thing called, you know, lean uh, uh, just in time. And I think most people would say, well, haven't we become too efficient, too lean, too just in, in time? How can you possibly get more efficiency out of something that already appears to be very efficient? How is that possible if you're putting tags on something as mundane as a, a crate of zucchini or something like that? Yeah, it's a perfect example, actually. First of all, I wish you were right. Uh, I think the level of inefficiency now, as everyone would admit, is, is, uh, is definitely not even close to perfect. I think uh, uh, you're talking tens of percentage of uh, loss because of excessive uh, purchase or loss due to quality. Uh, so I'll give you like two examples. Um, uh, if a shelf is empty somewhere, that is the time that you need to replenish. Uh, and it's an end-to-end -end process. So you need to create that kind of end-to-end -end flow that if I have a specific uh, empty uh, shelf, I can basically trigger 
uh, uh, replenishment, and I, and it's not the case that uh, replenishment process is fixed and, and transportation or burning energy uh, to go and replenish uh, full shelves. That's one form of inefficiency, or uh, that because the shelf is empty, um, the people that are responsible uh, to purchase and replenish the items will just excessively buy because no one wants to see an empty shelf. Uh, and so that, that would be the tendency. So that is one example on how you can do a demand-based replenishment that will uh, improve not one or two percentage, but an order of magnitude more uh, in supply chain. On the other way around, basically uh, imagine a, a zucchini crate uh, that is left behind. And it usually it's not like a one zucchini crate, usually there's more that uh, stay behind at the, at, at the farmer uh, location uh, should stay there less than a day and it stays three days maybe and the temperature is wrong we can fix that right because the crate would trigger an immediate notification with escalation path uh, uh, so people will come and just fix it instead of just counting uh, the defects once you do that there will be a tendency to optimize so anytime you fix something and something is left behind you'll improve the process around it and with time, we'll get closer, hopefully, to uh, what you describe as, a, as an efficient supply chain. Because if you look at vegetables, any fresh produce, or even not fresh produce, uh, the supply chains today uh, don't have enough visibility. A lot of goodwill, but not enough of visibility to, uh, uh, to get to a kind of a perfectly designed uh, supply chain. Very helpful. One of the things that uh, I was really proud to see um, over the last uh, few uh, weeks was um, Israel's uh, submission to the COP uh, process, uh, the, the, the climate change uh, um, gathering in Glasgow. And uh, um, you got invited to participate in a program that was led by the president of Israel. Um, and essentially, the, the, you know, the premise is, how do we solve climate change? Well, there's a lot we can do to, um, uh, to move away from fossil fuels and that sort of thing. But fundamentally, it's going to be about innovation. And you've already touched on this, but I just want to give people a bit more of a, a sense of how can connecting everyday things to the internet help to solve the climate change uh, problem? Uh, what, what, yeah. just, just kind of make that. Yeah, I know I'll relate it to uh, me personally. When I, when I started Williot four and a half years ago, I don't think it was top of my mind, any environmental. Obviously I was aware of uh, it's a problem, needs to get fixed, but it was not personal to me. <laughs> but I talk with like uh, probably three, four customers a day and it's not just a real problem, but it's just uh, something that can be fixed with technology. I think if, 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 if more companies would decide that we would use kind of the brain power and innovation uh, capabilities that we have to solve kind of uh, the day-to-day -day problems that people have, uh, we would live in a, in a better world, right? I think it's, uh, 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 I'll give you examples, right? Uh, just uh, this week, I think in Israel, um, uh, they published the food waste level, which is down at the supply chain is at 30% waste, 30% waste. It's not just the kind of the actual net value of that 30% waste, but the resources that we used to grow 
uh, fields of uh, wasted uh, vegetables, the water that went into it, right? Uh, it's unbelievable, right? Uh, the fuel that was burned to transport all this information. You're not, you're not talking about like 1% to 5%. You're talking about quantities that can feed entire countries, right? It is well known that... Uh, if you just kind of uh, shrink the food waste globally, uh, there should not be anyone going hungry, right? Uh, and there are today. So examples range from anything due to quality loss because of uh, uh, lack of efficiency uh, uh, up to excessive buy. By the way, uh, people that should be blamed, blamed more than anyone at excessive buy is us. Anytime we have to make a decision on how much to buy and what to buy, we make mistakes, uh, and, but we can get help. So a technology that starts from consumption from people, from the quality they desire, their patterns of usage of food and pharma. Uh, why should I go into my car and burn fuel to buy the same washing machine liquid times and times again, right? This is like a pattern uh, that happens all the time based on how people consume, we should design uh, a fulfillment and supply chain that caters to that, eliminate all waste. All waste. I don't see a reason why there should be any waste management, why there should be kind of a, a full garbage bins just because we make the wrong decisions. Uh, if you look at any innovation around data, you see that it's fully efficient, right? Streaming of data, of media, today is fully efficient food and perishables and, and pharma should be uh, the same way. And if more and more companies join that effort and invest their uh, 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 technology uh, to start from people and planet, go back and see how they can help fix it, it's not just the quality will improve, but the profit of suppliers and anything in between uh, will improve. This is why it's upsetting. It's not, it's not a trade-off. You can help uh, our quality, the things that we eat daily, uh, the medicine we use daily. Uh, you can help people while improving profit for anyone that is involved in the process. It's just lack of inefficiency, of efficiency. So yeah, they call it the triple bottom line, helping um, uh, the planet and helping people be, be safer, having better quality products, but also helping uh, profit. and. You know, I, I, to me, this is one of the reasons for getting up and coming into uh, into, into work is um, there's this massive opportunity that we have. And I don't think it's just Williot. I think it's the companies that are starting to use Williot's technology. So it's, it's, a, it's a much bigger ecosystem than just uh, this company that you uh, that you started. Yeah. And I must tell you, on a personal level, I, I transformed yeah. in a way that it, it, it's... it's um... Sometimes it might be annoying a bit for customers. Like I go into a meeting and, and basically the, we talk about how we can improve their asset loss. And let's say their asset loss is uh, what they use to kind of cool meat produce that go into a customer. And I kind of insist to go back and say, okay, we will help you with the asset loss, but can we also help you with the quality <laughs> uh, of the food that you deliver? So we kind of push on that. Uh, and, and because it's just, it's just, inefficiency. Most people that think or assume, I ask more and more people. So most people I hear assume that there's a trade-off, basically, that if you want to improve quality, it will just cost more. No, it won't. <laughs> it won't. Actually, it should cost less. 
uh, improving quality. So, uh, and more and more, I find myself in a position that I'm pushing more than I should, <laughs> that we should kind of uh, go and help the core uh, processes that we use all around. And I think- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Anyone that looks at their fridge or even their wardrobe, what proportion of the wardrobe are you still wearing? Could someone else benefit from that? And I think the exciting thing about this technology is it goes, it spans everything from the manufacturing process, the distribution, the retail, into the home and into the recycling process. And and if you can use this infrastructure that already exists, all these Bluetooth devices that surround us, all this connectivity, all these radio waves, then this is this is not a, a minor change. It's not a tweak. It's it's orders of magnitude. And and that's really what we uh, need in order to solve this crisis. I would make a call for action, Steve, is, is for, yeah, yeah. for anyone. I think if you talk with people, they assume that it's, it cannot be done. So, uh, and I ask even my family, right? If you take a bite into something, you have no idea where it came from, what its history. Uh, uh, how do you feel? So people assume that that's the only way of consuming things. And I think uh, with time, people will demand that what they consume has a known quality and they will demand from their suppliers that what they use will never turn to waste. So if I buy something I wear, if I'm done with it, uh, there is a responsibility to use it again and again uh, to eliminate waste. I don't know how long it will take, but I think it will become the new norm of how people consume products. And I think most people that have looked at Williot have said, wow, this is really cool technology and potentially disruptive. I get it if I go from connecting a few expensive things to the internet to connecting everything, then that could have some profound changes. But, you know, the, the, I think the, the unspoken question, because people are very polite, is, is it going to work? Uh, and when is it going to work? Um, and I think that's why this version two announcement, the release is kind of interesting, because it's kind of the next step. Um, so let's unpack that. What is it in this new version two platform? Uh, because it's more than one thing. It's, it's actually quite a few things. Yeah. So what's new? What's changed? Yeah, I think uh, let's try to split it into two, not to make things uh, overly complicated. I think let's start with the, with the basic uh, technology. And I agree with you. It, it's so ambitious and uh, definitely not easy to do that 
there's always skepticism. Our commitment in the first generations was always from day one to, uh, to uh, double the performance and shrink the cost by 50%. It's always kind of our commitment for the first generations. And uh, we released uh, Gen 2, actually we exceeded a bit uh, uh, our promise. So a Gen 2 basically is a label uh, that has uh, a double the range, uh, uh, less than half of the cost. And we're already deep into our Gen 3 design that we're not obviously unveiling, but I can tell you that it will be even more aggressive uh, on these two kind of metric. Why? Because we want to enable them broadly. So that's our mission. Uh, now, customers are deploying all the time now. Uh, we're in the millions now, so it's not kind of a, anything, kind of a, a POC that you do with like a 10 uh, labels. It's, it's, it's in the millions. And, and, and while it's not perfect, the performance that we get uh, is actually better than I thought for Gen 2. Uh, we get full visibility uh, and we get it quickly. So you don't have to wait to install more and more infrastructure. You can go in in a day. Uh, and you tag a large number of assets and in a few days you can see everything lights up and you can see it uh, visible and you can inspect it. And that's true today for the version 2 uh, that we're releasing. Uh, the second element that we're releasing is a way to engage with us. Uh, and as, as I said earlier, if we want to work broadly to fix anything from kind of adherence and quality of medicine and pharma and assets and uh, anything in between, how do you do it? So that automation platform uh, we're releasing now, and it should be much easier to customers to engage with us. It's not a lengthy deal signing. We are not looking for any commitment, no big decisions. Uh, customers can start with the simplest, simplest test uh, to prove to themselves uh, that what we do uh, can help them and then grow with the amount of value and information that we deliver. Uh, so that platform enables any customer kind of a, a playground that you can learn, you can exercise, you can purchase specific use cases, specific kits as we call them, uh, to test uh, 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 the things that you care about. Uh, you can connect with the partners and we're training uh, partners uh, all around the world to help anyone uh, deploy, test, ask questions. Uh, so that platform obviously is essential for us uh, to keep the broad uh, aspect of what we do and, and keep that generic focused layer uh, that can provide uh, that entire spectrum uh, of use cases. So this universal automation platform, universal because you can start to automate everything from a bottle of pills to uh, a cardboard box to some uh, Tupperware or whatever. Uh, what is an automation platform and how does it differ from what existed before? There was, you know, I, I, I remember talking about Williot and people would say, well, how do I integrate this? And uh, you'd say, oh, well, there's some RESTful APIs or some MQTT and people would nod and they'd be pretty happy with that. Why, why do anything different from that? So the why is that uh, there are two, two answers to that. Uh, one, uh, we showed a lot of dashboards, like everyone do, uh, and you get, it gets to a point that you see that the dashboard is nice, uh, but it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't help the customer fix the problem. It helps him see uh, the problem, but not fix it. So uh, uh, one response is that that platform 
uh, enables you to fix it. The way it works is that you basically uh, pick a specific asset, then you pick specific conditions that can be in any dimension, you set the allowed boundaries, and then you choose an action. Now, that action can still be show me the problem, but with time, what will happen is that customers will tend to go, let's fix the problem. If something was dropped at the wrong location, don't just count it. Let's fix it now. Let's fix it in real time. So that is something that we did not have the capability to do, but uh, we can do now with, uh, uh, with the automation pro uh, uh, platform. And obviously, the second uh, answer to the why is that uh, we need a way uh, to build a generic capability. We need a way to inject new sensing capabilities. We need a way uh, to keep Williot focused on what we're good at, which is to continue to enable this broad network of sensors and add sensing in the cloud, but not just going deeper into being uh, uh, experts in any type of use case, because that will limit our capabilities. So that platforms enables a universal approach to use cases, that's one. And the second uh, element is action-oriented uh, IoT versus uh, basically kind of a, a big data approach or statistical approach uh, to IoT. Now, we're not the first to do automation, as I said. Usually it's kept to a, a more kind of a, a, a SaaS-oriented uh, virtual flows. If something happens, then do that. If something happens, then do that. It, it's not a new concept, but... Imagine a world in which everything you use, everything you have can be programmed, anything, and it doesn't have to be day one. A customer can uh, decide after launching a product that he wants to add another kind of a program. Uh, let's program the asset uh, to warn me if it's disposed incorrectly, okay? Uh, it's something that you can activate and deactivate all the time, and it just fits the IoT profile because it ties uh, the customer commitment to the value that he sees. And to us, that is a core value. So this is a drag and drop platform. It's not, no programming required. Um, so you can set these conditions as you, you, you said. How do you connect these actions to the real world, to all the other applications that are out there? Yeah, that, that's the, be the beautiful thing about kind of a automation platform as they exist today is once you're a customer, right? You define the conditions and now you need to decide what action you take. You have thousands of possible connectors or actions that you can take. Uh, in five minutes, I can show you how I can take a, a pill box, right? And program it uh, to do anything from scheduling a meeting, sending an email or connecting to a specific uh, uh, customer system if it's empty. And you can change that all the time. So, uh, that flexibility and the breadth of action that you can take uh, is so easy that I'm sure all customers will tend to just focus on fixing issues uh, rather than just kind of uh, inspecting them. So we can connect to ERP applications and uh, uh, Slack and messaging applications without having to do any development that's already there. Very good. Um, exactly. I, I want to talk a bit about, uh, get into the weeds a bit, because I think everyone kind of, one of the dangers is that people's expectations are, are, are not uh, realistic. There's, uh, it's magic. It just sort of works. There's uh, nothing that uh, can't be done. And obviously we live in the real world and that's not the case. 
How are you, what is the company doing to, um, to make sure that there's energy where you want it and uh, that you can use some of these existing infrastructure? We've been talking about existing infrastructure. So we're, we're talking about phones, we're talking about Wi-Fi access yeah. points that already have radios. So we already have a way for tags to talk to the internet uh, because there's connectivity everywhere. But it's not quite as simple as that, at least not, uh, at least with version two. Can you talk a bit about this three-tier architecture and the way things have evolved? Yeah, so, so one of our kind of, uh, again, uh, going back to a kind of a commitment or core value is infrastructure-free. Right uh, now, is it the case that I can take any V2 label, place it anywhere, and it will have enough energy to uh, operate and uh, and someone to talk to? No, it's not the case. I think, uh, um, but what is true is that you can always uh, uh, add a specific device that I'll, I'll, I'll talk about now that will kind of bridge the gap. Okay, now, before I show what this device is for a V2, uh, we will continuously uh, work to uh, continue to shrink that delta of things that you need in the future. So stay tuned. But right now, uh, if you're a customer and, and you want to track a specific uh, uh, asset, what we do is we come in and you're right to say that the data path is usually kind of easier, the energy path, because we need to manage two networks a data network and, a, and, a, and an energy network. Uh, the energy network usually is, is, is not as simple. The V2 tags range is not as ubiquitous that you'll always get to an energy source. So uh, we do two things. First of all, we provide more than one type of a tag. We provide multiple SKUs depending on the range and performance that you need. And then we provide a set of what we call bridge devices. The bridge devices can be as simple as uh, this type of a device. Basically, it's a, it's a type of a BLE beacon, no Wi-Fi, no cellular. Basically, it's a BLE beacon uh, uh, with basically off-the-shelf components and our software that will do anything that you need from kind of transmitting the right uh, 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 signal or Bluetooth signal to wake up the tags. They transmit back data. That device will take that data and will retransmit so replay the, the same data in a way uh, that we can guarantee will get to that access point or that phone or that tablet that can uh, continue to forward it all the way to the cloud. So there's a, an intermediate uh, uh, device that is always there, but it's really, really low cost. Okay, so usually when we talk with customers and we quantify their cost of uh, adding our services, uh, that infrastructure piece uh, cost usually less than the technician visit. So that kind of the order of magnitude. So it's still there. It's still something to design. It's still something that you have to think about and you have to model. Uh, so it's not infrastructure free in that aspect. But the cost of doing that is, 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 is really, really low. So that is something that we're enabling with V2. So this is like a kind of a wireless stepping stone to to get from A to B to C, where A is the physical thing and uh, C is the, the the phone or the Wi-Fi access yeah. point that's uh, that's already there. And yeah, uh, yeah the way to I look at it, by the way, in terms of architecture, is that this device is also a type of a tag, right? Obviously, it uh, it's it's uh, you need very few of them, but 
uh, it, it's not a connected device. It's not that you're deploying a new network in your uh, premise. You basically have a kind of, think about a mesh of beacons that talk to each other and eventually get uh, to the right place. And this is uh, kind of one uh, anchor uh, of doing that. Uh, so that that's keeping the cost down and complexity down. Uh, but it's still a thing that you have to uh, place somewhere. So, so the technology is maturing, the cost's going down, the performance is uh, going up. I think a lot of people start to think, well, um, how do I actually move forward? Uh, what uh, what uh, is it that I need to do in order to start connecting everything and uh, having sensing built into the product and, and so forth? So yeah. let's start off talking a bit about partners what is the role of partners in all of this yeah so you know when uh, you and i know well that uh, if we would kind of uh, uh, go back like a year or a bit more customers would have to wait until they can work with us uh, that is not a good thing for us or them right and uh, uh, because the way we engaged customers was uh, uh, a very specific uh, with any customer, the new kind of uh, platform that we uh, talked about enables to quickly onboard anyone that has an interest uh, in using our capabilities and provide him all the kind of uh, um, actions that he needs to test it, taste it, uh, talk with an expert. It's all right there uh, in one location. So any customer out there that wants to see maybe... Uh, there's value in there and I want to uh, test it. All you have to do is approach us. We'll onboard you quickly to a platform. And then you'll start to see use case kits that might or might not be relevant for you. You have a list of partners that we train, which are extension of Williot. Uh, you can pick a partner or you can pick assign one for you. And you can have that partner kind of help you choose uh, the right mix of labels, of infrastructure, uh, help you deploy, support. Uh, and, and these partners are becoming key uh, in extending Williot uh, globally and universally. Uh, as you said, these partners become part of Williot in terms of the benefit they see, their expertise. Uh, we're launching an academy with multiple levels. We can make them as experts as they can be in order to get there. And what kind of partners are we talking about? So at the baseline, uh, uh, the service partners are those that I just talked about, the, those that will work directly with customers to help them understand the capabilities, uh, deploy, uh, um, and grow. Uh, these are the service partners. Uh, in parallel to that, obviously, we work with value-add uh, resellers, partners, that will take what we do as part of their overall solution. So let's say that you are a supply chain or log logistics solution provider. You can uh, use the Williot capabilities to embed it into your own solution. We would love for you to do that. Um, or a retail solution provider or pharma or many other examples. As I said, we also work with, uh, with uh, leading uh, uh, label makers. So they can provide the labels, right? Because it's, it's not part of our business model. We want to enable it affordably. So we work with all the leaders uh, in that field so they can uh, work directly with customers to enable labels. Uh, 
And we work with the infrastructure providers, anyone from the large enterprise networks down to uh, people that can deliver uh, simple uh, uh, bridge devices. And the customer can choose uh, which infrastructure is, is best for him. So you have basically four categories from the kind of uh, the knowledge experts, the boots on the ground, the service providers, all the way to label makers, infrastructure, uh, suppliers, and definitely solution uh, value add resellers. So the companies that are writing the applications and uh, and so forth. And this is actually potentially a very large pool of partners. The 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 you know there's the Bluetooth industry which has been working on RTLS real time location, and then there's the RFID industry that has been working on auto ID and understands uh, RF. And then there's all of the management consultants. Uh, I think. Uh, People, you know, we've focused a lot on technology and process, uh, but you know, it's going to take a lot to potentially completely change your business model uh, if you realize the full potential of this. And so uh, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, previously, one of the cool things about working at Williot was you got to work with the superstars of the respective industries, whether it's pharmaceutical companies, apparel companies, CPG companies, logistics companies. And, and, and uh, you know, we've both been to those early user groups where it was kind of like going to the Oscars. You're like, oh, I know you yeah. and I've seen you before. I've seen your ads and so forth. It was very cool. But there was obviously a, a cost of... Uh, for those companies to engage, and uh, uh, it wasn't uh, a, a small investment. Um, what? Uh, let's talk a bit about starter kits or kits more generally. Um, tell us a bit about that because that is something new. It's uh, so there's been kind of a soft launch. We've been trying this out, but uh, with version two, we're actually opening the gates to to, to this. So, what yeah. what are these kits? Yeah, what we saw, which is very common, and I think it relates to the question that you asked me before, uh, it's like when we meet customers, uh, it's really, you get a mix of, oh, there's a lot I can do with it, uh, coupled with, I want to see it, it working before kind of uh, committing anything. So uh, uh, what we, we want to kind of remove any friction in doing that. So uh, the kit, purpose is to kind of create an ensemble of use cases and capabilities. So when customers kind of log in into kind of their account, they can uh, and pick and order and buy. It's really affordable and, and you get a kit uh, if it's around food or in the future will be around pharma or maybe you're just a partner and you want your kind of technician kit or maybe you kept asking, can we print labels? And you want a printer or you want to automatically uh, uh, apply labels with, with a machine or we'll come up with many kits that will help customers get the first experience of how Williot can help them as quickly and affordably as we can. And that will enable also us and them to focus on the use case that they have in mind. So uh, we will build uh, kits as fast as we can. We're still a small company. <laughs> And uh, so apologies up front for any kind of delays, but uh, we will supply kits for customers based on whatever they desire and we will keep adding them. And partners will also get the opportunity to offer theirs. So it will be kind of a meeting place of ideas and use cases 
for customers to experience. And hopefully once customers do that, they will be kind of more mature to kind of sit and plan uh, for that actually kind of rollout and deployment after seeing the capability. So we'll start off with starter kits, then more kits for partners for different uh, for, for different use cases. Very good. Well, we're on the home straight. Uh, the last uh, chapter of this podcast is uh, we've talked uh, about what Williot does. We've talked about what's new and how people can engage. I think um, you know a lot of people are kind of interested in the uh, the, the, the people. Uh, behind the product and the service and um, tell us a bit about how this all came across. What's, how did you get this incredible job uh, and, 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 and what, what led up to it? So me personally, uh, I call myself, uh, I'm a proud chip head. So I worked in uh, most of the kind of uh, uh, tech companies. Uh, it's, the it's the third startup that I work in. Uh, and the last startup did something completely different. I was a uh, founder and CEO in a startup that developed millimeter wave chipsets for 5G technology. Um, I think I always look for kind of a problem that is difficult to solve, uh, sometimes too difficult, but that's a topic for another discussion uh, because I feel that um, we have the team that has a good chance of uh, solving that problem. And then uh, it becomes really interesting on how you kind of uh, grow from that. So uh, so in, I worked in three startups that got acquired. So it's kind of a bounce between a small company and a large company. So I've been at both. And once I saw the IoT vision, even from 10 years ago, and, um, and I worked in large companies in senior positions, I just felt that no one is, is doing the right thing. <laughs> and that's like a typical kind of a trigger to open a company, right? And I felt that people are just redefining what IoT is just fits their current roadmap. Uh, and uh, it was years ago that I said that once I can, I'll open a company to, uh, to do IoT from the grounds up. And uh, four and a half years ago, I came to uh, like two or three investors and... Um, Basically, I said, look, uh, we'll invent this device that costs almost nothing, but still can sense for so many things <laughs> that we can bet the company on such a business model. And I don't know if it's doable. Uh, until we build it, I don't think we can model and evaluate if it's doable. So that was four and a half years ago. Um, it was an interesting first year. I think it took us less than a year to understand that we're within the ballpark. So it's doable, but it, it should take time, but it's doable. Um, but I'm not alone. I think, uh, as you know, uh, uh, kind of my co-founders and we brought a team with an impressive track record uh, in designing very complicated uh, hardware solutions. And while working at Williot, we understood that uh, there's a second lobe to that brain and we keep kind of uh, building um, an unbelievable kind of uh, data and platform team uh, with senior managers from all the right places. Uh, uh, to lead that part because we have a physical aspect and we have a, a virtual aspect and they meet in the middle in this uh, universal automation platform and it's and that level of complexity we need uh, a very good team so to me if I kind of uh, inspect on how I thought Williot would be it's bigger than I thought I knew that will be a play in IoT 
Uh, I knew that we'll have problems to fix. My concern was always that we'll have to choose a specific use cases, uh, use case like you uh, tend to. Uh, but I did not know that it will tie so nicely into so many problems and so many even low-hanging fruits uh, that needs to get fixed. That is something that I did not fully understand on day one. Yeah, it's, I think it's one of the most fun things about this job is seeing all of the problems that could be solved by taking a tiny computer and connecting things to the internet. And in some ways, it's kind of a, a forehead-slapping thing. You know, of course, of course. But I think, you know, when you discover something, you kind of feel like you doubt, you have doubts and you uh, sometimes hesitate to call out what seems so uh, monumental. And I, I, I think it's kind of funny. It's great having you on this uh, show because uh, we kind of met through a related thing. I was, uh, I'd written this, the Beacon Technology book and was doing the uh, doing a one-day training course at um, on Bluetooth Beacon technology at RFID Journal Live in Phoenix. And I think you had recently, with Yaron and Alon, you'd recently formed the company and amazingly in the first month raised millions of dollars of investment, which is kind of unusual to uh, do that when you don't have a, a product and you're not even sure what it's going to be used for in, in, in any great detail. And I remember after a very long day training session, you came up to me and said that you were developing, you started this company and passive Bluetooth, it was a passive Bluetooth tag. And I had just given a whole day of opining and, and claiming to be an expert on Bluetooth technologies. And I never heard of passive Bluetooth. And so I think actually I, when you suggested maybe some consulting, uh, you might be interesting. <laughs> and I think I actually said no. And I, and the reason I said no was because I just couldn't believe it. And I just didn't feel like I was qualified. So I have to thank you for, um, for uh, being very gracious and, uh, and letting me, I was going to say, have a ringside seat to something that's historic, but really it's been kind of to a certain extent, in the ring. Um, and uh, I think this is kind of... No, and look, it, it, we, we are going through this journey together, and I think uh, we, we see the steps. Uh, it's kind of... A, uh, basically, it all starts with, uh, with uh, your credibility leverage point, right? Uh, so if uh, you see a, a guy, a chiphead, right, uh, promising uh, to eliminate batteries from a Bluetooth device. Uh, you're skeptic, but okay, it's, it's within kind of the, the ballpark of capabilities. Uh, if I would come over and tell you, look, uh, we will save the world because we will kind of uh, eliminate any inefficiency with this sensor, you would not meet with me again, right? So it's a journey that we take together. Uh, and, and it's not done. It's just starting, actually. It's, it's super interesting. So thank you. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So um, we have this tradition on the podcast where we ask our guests about uh, three songs that have some meaning to them. And uh, uh, I'm fascinated to hear what you have, have, have in mind. <laughs> what three songs so you know, did you choose? Yeah. And you know me, right? It's, it's, uh, I need to think about things like that and, and, uh, and kind of analyze them. And uh, because I heard you ask that question and uh, it tells all, all kinds of uh, versions, three 
three songs if you would be sent to Mars or whatever, right? So I really yeah. th- thought about it. And, and, and the answer is it would not be the best three thongs, songs in terms of quality. Nothing impressive. I'm not sure I can, uh, songs can be ranked, definitely not by me. But um, uh, I have three kids and we all kind of prepare their kind of a video clip for their bar mitzvah, right? It's the same age. Basically, it's a process in which you kind of uh, take all the kind of uh, too many pictures and, and funny videos and you assign a background music to it, right? Uh, and I insist to do that with kind of, a, a, a kind of a hit of the same days that matches their personality. Uh, and then you watch it like a hundred times, right? Because you sync with the music to uh, pictures and, and it embeds the song to the kind of, uh, to the images of your kid. When I hear any one of these three songs that are not the best of songs, but all like three hits, uh, of the time, I think about my kids. I would definitely take this, <laughs> uh, to Mars, uh, uh, or any place. I think one of them is, uh, we are young by fun. There's catch and release. And, uh, I actually forget the third one I can send you, but if you play these uh, songs to me, I think about my kids. So definitely, uh, I would take that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Tal, thanks for giving up some time to talk to us on the show. Thanks for support of the show and letting it carry on in its kind of weirdly independent, uh, path. <laughs> uh, and, uh, thanks for, um, kind of this incredible technology. I think it's uh, really um, uh, just, uh, you know, revolutionary is that's a word that's used a lot. But I, I uh, uh, you know, I, you know, I said no, when you originally invited me to do some consulting, but after, after just a few days of, uh, of thinking about looking at it, I was completely uh, convinced. So it's been a privilege to be uh, yeah. a part of that process. So Definitely not again. boring. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tal. Uh, We will continue to cover other technologies, competing technologies on the Mr. Beacon show. Uh, But I think as this uh, IoT Pixel technology, the universal automation platform, battery-free Bluetooth, as it starts to become more pervasive, then you can expect some more in-depth Uh, coverage of how the technology has been used, especially what some of the implications are in terms of fighting climate change and the environment. Um, And we'll use this platform to share knowledge uh, about this interesting area of connecting the digital with the physical. So thanks for listening. Uh, We appreciate your reviews, your feedback. Uh, Please share details of the show with your friend and we look forward to seeing you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then 
Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.